If you have your Bibles, you can turn to 2 Corinthians for the last time. Well, I guess hopefully not the last time in your whole life, but last time as a body, we're going to be walking through this together. Uh, As Dad said, next week we're going to start a new series. It's called This Is Our God. We're going to be talking about who God is, what it means to know Him, walk with Him. Sue, it's so good to see you back with us this morning. Yes, good. Um, we, uh, last, last week, I wasn't actually here in church. I was in North Carolina. I was visiting my friend Luke. Some of you guys know and remember Luke, Luke Myers and his wife Jamie, her four kids. Luke's part of the Thornton clan. Some of them are still here with us. Others have scattered to the ends of the earth. Um, it was cool when I was down there visiting. I got to go to Luke and Jamie's church with them. This is something that I don't get to do very often as my job requires me to be here um, not that you all are work to be with. I, I do love you. But uh, when I was down there, I, I don't often get the chance to go to other churches. So I was able to, to go to church with Luke and Jamie, and it was, it was cool to be there. But there's a lot of differences with their church and, and, and the, churches, the church that I've grown up in. It's a lot, a lot more conservative. Uh, they, they sat in pews. They sang from hymnals. Didn't even know those things still existed. Um, and here I come walking in with my shorts and a T-shirt, and I'm walking, I'm looking around, every guy has a suit and tie on, every lady has a fancy dress on. I'm like, Luke, how did you not tell me that I needed it? He's like, oh, don't worry about it, man, it's all good. So one of the elders comes up to me, and he introduces himself, and he's asking about me and what I do up in Alaska, and I said, well, I, 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 I preach at my church. He kind of looks at me, gives me a once-over, you know, that thought bubble pops up, you know, that you can see, yeah, right, you know, like, no, I wanted to say, no, seriously, I wear pants when I preach, don't worry, but then, I thought, that sounds weirder, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to go there, so, I, I, but the, the cool thing was, like, man, I had an awesome time there, um, the church was so incredibly friendly, they were so welcoming, they love Jamie and Luke and their family so well, um, and, and the thing was, the, the, the most importantly, they, they preach the gospel, they love Jesus, and they love each other. And I was just reminded that it doesn't matter what kind of chairs we sit in, it doesn't matter what kind of clothes we're wearing, it doesn't matter the style of music that we sing, that, that's not de- what determines whether or not a church is healthy. And... and, and the way that, and, and by, by church, of course, I don't mean the, the infrastructure. I'm not talking about the building, the metal, the, you know, are we on a good foundation as far as a building? The, the church is the people of God. And is, are the people of God living the way that God would desire for them to live? And that's, that's kind of how Paul wraps up this letter. We, we've been walking through this autobiography of a bleeding heart. It's quite a roller coaster of emotions. He's, he's been begging this church to, to come back to what God's called them to be. And so he, he leaves them with this charge. And the charge is, is this, this is what God's heart is for you. This morning, what we're going to be looking at is the DNA of a healthy church. The, the DNA of a, a healthy church. We're going to look at what a healthy church looks like. We're going to look at why a church ought to look like that. And then finally, how the church is to accomplish this thing that he's called us to do. 
what really matters, and what kind of a church does God want us to be. So if you have your Bibles, 2 Corinthians 13, we're looking at the last three verses. I'm skipping 12 and 13 because it talks about greeting each other with a holy kiss, and I ain't going there. Um, I don't, you know, whatever. We don't have time. But um, the first verse, verse 11, if you turn with me there. Verse 11, Paul says to the Corinthians, Finally, brothers, we've gone through 13 chapters, quite a roller coaster. He says, finally, last word, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Strive for full restoration, encourage one another, be of one mind, live in peace, and the love of God and, pe- and the God of love and peace will be with you. Now, it's interesting, this first thing he says here is to rejoice. Rejoice. Now, this, this word rejoice could also be translated. You're going to see, it's kind of a, we're going to go through this this morning. There's a lot of words that we see in, in the New International Version that I'm going to tell you maybe a ba- way that it could have been better translated. A better translation for rejoice, um, or another translation, could be farewell or all hail. This was actually a common greeting and leave taking at the time. You know, you think of like aloha. Aloha in Hawaii could mean hello and goodbye. Or in Hebrew, shalom, which means peace. It's how they both say hello and goodbye. This is, was a common greeting and leave-taking. But the cool thing is how this originated, where this came from. If you look back at, at Matthew 28, Jesus, when he rose from the dead, the first time he sees his disciples, the first word that comes out of his mouth to them is rejoice. It, it's, and in the NIV, it's translated, it says, suddenly Jesus met them, greetings, he said. But this is the exact same word that we see here. It's best translated, rejoice. He says, I am alive. Be joyful. What, what an incredible thought. And, and how much cooler would it be for us than to, to say that to each other than hello? And what does hello even mean, right? It's meaningless. We'd see each other. You walk through the door Sunday morning and Mary Jean gives you one of her awesome Mary Jean hugs and you look at her and you say, rejoice, rejoice. And, and then there's some people you say, when I'm leaving them, I definitely want to say rejoice, right? Like rejoice, I'm not with you anymore, right? That's mean. I shouldn't say that. I'm a preacher. Sorry. Um, what a cool reminder every time you see each other of the reality of what it means to be a believer, Christ is risen from the dead. Sin has been conquered once and for all. We're forgiven of all of our sins, accepted by God because of what Jesus has done for us. We have a a hope that will never fade. We have 10,000 reasons to rejoice. That's why Paul says rejoice always. Never stop rejoicing, being full of, of joy. And if we don't have this joy as a church... And the rest of what Paul's going to say, it's not going to make sense. It's not going to line up. If we don't have the joy that stems from believing that this God is who he claims to be and that Jesus is enough and the joy in our lives bubbles up from that. So he says rejoice, rejoice. And then secondly, second thing he says here now, he says strive for full restoration. Now this, this idea, remember he's talking to this church that's in chaos, he says strive for full restoration, other translation would be be complete, be complete. And when he says be complete, he's not talking as in the sense of something being 
incomplete, like you're missing something. There's not a, there's, you need more people in your church, or you know, there's something you're missing. It's not incomplete like, like a jigsaw puzzle. You know, you ever been to that? And you finish the puzzle, and there's that one piece that's missing. And if you're OCD like me, it just drives you crazy. You're flipping couches. Like, where is that last piece of the puzzle? You know, it's not, it's not missing something like a recipe. You taste it, and you know, what is that? What is it missing? It's, maybe it's missing sugar. I think all recipes are missing sugar, personally. Uh, more sugar is always better. Um, it, the sense here of, of be complete is the idea that something is out of sync. It's out of order. The word, the, the idea comes from when a bone has been broken or fractured, it needs to be set back into place. Or another analogy that they would have been very familiar at the time and used this in was when a net was broken, when it, when it, was, not, it, it was not mended properly. So another way you could say this, what Paul is telling them, is you need to mend your ways. There are some things here that, that aren't fitting together the way they should, or you need to get things back in their proper place. We know, we've walked with the Corinthians for several months now, this church is a hot mess, right? They are treating each other like garbage. They are backbiting, devouring each other. They are talking bad about each other behind their backs. They're starting all these cliques. They're, they're very divisive as a church. And he says, there are some things, and there are three things he's going to point out in this verse that you need to get back in line. You need to mend your ways if you're going to be the kind of church that God has called you to be. Perhaps there are some things he's going to show them that we can learn from personally in our lives and as a body at Peninsula Grace. So the first thing that he says you need to get back in order, he says you need to encourage each other. Now another way, uh, perhaps a better way again of translating encourage one another was actually receive, be able to receive admonition. This is a kind of a fancier word for correction. In other words, you need to be willing to hear when someone says you're wrong or something needs to change. The idea here is willing submission to authority. Are we willing to hear from a source of authority that something in your life needs to change? Now, our pride doesn't like that. When I was in North Carolina this last week, I was at Luke and Jamie's. We were playing Pictionary with Debbie and Kiara. And um, this lady comes knocking at the door. So we look over, and uh, she, she, uh, and Jamie goes and answers, and it's this lady, and she is, she is hot under the collar. She says, listen, your children are running back and forth across the street out there, and they're not even looking. Now, I've come to know and love these little boys, four boys, six and under, Lord bless Luke and Jamie. And, you know, you, know, you kind of get that, like, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, weird Uncle Justin that comes once a year and comes down there and hangs out with them, plays. I've grown pretty attached to these little kids. And when someone, it feels like when someone's coming and talking bad about people you love, you know, that reaction within you that kind of comes up. I felt my hair standing on the back of my neck. I'm looking at this lady like, let's go. Like, I'm going to take you out. How dare you tell their children what to do? You know, and, and then I find out later that she's actually been, like, she's the neighborhood, like, watchdog. She's actually called the cops on the kid. One time, one of their kids was in a kiddie pool out in the yard without any clothes on, and she thought it was indecent, and so she called the police on them. And I'm like, I'm going to take her out. Who is this crazy lady? Like, I went over, we were driving by her house, and I saw, like, three or four cars in the driveway. I'm like, we need to call the cops. They're probably having some kind of party over there, growing marijuana. Too many people in that driveway. We need to get, and Luke's like, dude, you calm down. (laughs) Like, it's not a problem, you know. And they're a lot more gracious than I was. And, but here's the point. What I 
realized was I, even if I didn't like this lady, and I didn't, I needed to hear the truth in what she was saying. These little boys are running back and forth across the street where cars are driving by at 35 miles an hour, and one of them could get pancaked. And see, the Corinthian church, they didn't want to hear Paul. Remember we said a couple weeks ago, he said, I'm going to find you treating each other terribly. I'm not going to like what I find, and you're not going to like my response. He says, you're not going to want to hear the words that I'm saying. You may not like me, but you need to obey the truth so that you don't get pancaked. As believers, this, see, this isn't, this isn't some mindless submission where we just kind of listen and obey. If it's a Christian telling you, if it's a pastor on TV, you just do it. No, if it doesn't line up with the word of God, we're not just mindless Christian doormats. The question always, the primary source of authority in our lives is God and his word. So the question, the thing we need to examine ourselves, both as individuals and as a church, as we're endeavoring to do this church thing, is are we willingly placing ourselves under the authority of God and his word, and sometimes the way he manifests that to us is through leaders, is through elders, is through mentors, is through peers, is through his word directly to you. And are you willing to, to hear that and look at your life and see that there might be something that needs to be repented of? Might need something that you need to confess. A healthy church is a church that's willing to receive this correction from each other. And only there are we going to find encouragement. And I'll tell you, this only stems from that joy that we just talked about. If we're not finding our joy in God and trusting this confidence in who he is for us, then we're not going to hear the times when he points things out in our lives that need to change. The next thing he says is be of one mind. Be of one mind. This could be said, be thinking the same thing. Think the same thoughts. I was thinking the first thing that popped into my mind when I, was, when I read this, and maybe that's not the way I should go about preparing a sermon, but um, was this, this time, this is, this is a picture from youth conference in 2000. This is me, Jacob, and, and Mark Davis. Uh, Jacob's the white one. He, uh, you guys remember him? You guys, he, he's not here this weekend. But uh, this is back in the day when I liked dyed hair. Um, when I liked hair at all, I, I suppose. Um, anyway, the, Luke, Jacob and I, growing up in high school, we, we would hang out with each other all the time. Um, and, and you could find us on a Friday night on my couch watching infomercials until like 6 a.m., right? Real renegades. We had a, a real wild streak about us, right? We were party animals. And as we were watching, we would watch these, these late-night commercials, and it was hilarious. Like, you would watch the ones that had, like, like here's some medication that, that you need, and yet it would start telling you all the kind of people that can't take this medication. You've seen those ones, you know? If you have any kind of heart failure, if you're a blonde, if you live in South Dakota, all these really weird, like, they were, and, and, and so Jacob and I were kind of mocking this, if you can imagine, and we were talking about all these things where you can't take it if this and this, and then at the same, we had, like, this five-second pause, and the same exact time, in the same exact cadence, we, we say, like O positive blood. And we like look at each other, like, 
first of all, why in the world would either one of us say that? And why would we say it at the same time? It's like, we need to stop hanging out with each other. That's the bottom line here. This is getting freaky, right? But we, we had apparently spent so much time together that we started sharing a brain. You know, we're thinking the exact same thoughts. And, and, and Paul is saying here, he says, man, you as a church, you need to share a brain. That, that you need to be on the same page with the same convictions, believing the same truth as each other. Now, again, this, this doesn't mean, we, don't, we, we agree with each other, yes, but we agree with each other because we agree with God. If we're lining ourselves up with what he says, then if we're on the same page with him, then we're going to be on the same page with each other. And this doesn't mean that we, that we never disagree. The church, one of the beautiful things about the church is diversity. That, that sometimes we're going to land on different places, on, on different things, um, that we're going to have different personalities. And I think that's, that's all part of God's plan. This is not saying that every morning we all have to order the same exact kind of coffee from the same exact coffee place and wear the same kind of clothes and, and, and think all the exact same thoughts. I don't think that's Paul's point here. I think what he's saying, and if you look over in Philippians chapter 1, he's speaking to a different church, the church at Philippi, and he says a similar thing. He says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you, and, and here it is, stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the sake of, of the gospel. You think about like a rowing team, if you ever watched the Olympics, and it's incredible to watch the way that they all move in the same direction, with the same rhythm. They're calling out these signals, and they all know what it means, and they know how to turn at the exact same time and speed up and slow down all together as one. If they're going to be successful, they've got to be on the same page. If you got one guy who's like rowing backwards, or like picking his nose and not paying attention, you know, he's only rowing with one paddle, you know, it's... it's going to create chaos. You're spinning around in circles. You're going to tip the boat over if even one person starts going rogue. And Paul says here, listen, you all need to get on the same page. We're all working as believers toward the same common goal. We believe in the same Jesus. We've been given the same mission to make disciples of all nations to glorify the name of our God. But if we've got people in the church who have different agendas, who are trying to do their own thing, it's going to create chaos. The boat's going to tip over. Are we as a church on the same page? Are we moving in the same direction? He says you need to think the same thoughts. And the last thing he says you need to get in line is you need to live in peace. The idea here is, is the, the idea of unity. That we need to live at, in, in unity in, in peace with one another. Now, there can be misconceptions about peace. Um, Martin Luther King Jr., he said it well. He said, true peace. True peace is not the absence of tension, but it's the presence of justice. True peace is not the absence of tension. In other words, it's not just that you're not fighting. It's not just that everything seems to be calm on the surface. He says it's the presence of what is right and what is, what is good. Uh, songwriter Derek Webb said it this way, that so often we find ourselves trading peace for false unity. 
I think that we in our culture, our Christian subculture especially, can be very guilty of this, where aren't we so quick to like, to somebody's face, do we ever really say what we're thinking? Like we come up to somebody and we're, you know, it's all good, it's so good to see you, it's great, and then behind their backs we rip them to shreds. Unity, peace, is not sweeping things under the rug. It's not painting on a smile and pretending everything's okay when the building's burning down. True peace is, is, is putting out the fire. Right? Tr- true peace is, is dealing with the issues in our lives and working toward that unity in a real and an honest way. This is not something that just... True peace amongst believers and in this world isn't default for us. Because of our pride, this this is not default. The the expression here that Paul uses, the idea is to cultivate peace. That's what the phrase kind of intended to mean. And and you think about this idea of cultivating. Think about a a farmer approaching his harvest. The definition of, of harvest or of cultivate, it tells us that to cultivate something is to prepare and use soil. So you got to get the soil ready. And that takes a lot of work, machinery, a lot of blood, sweat, and tears to grow and care for the plants, constant tending to water, sunshine, to grow or raise something under conditions that you can control. See, farming doesn't just, the farmer doesn't just stumble into a harvest, kind of fall off his tractor and the seeds spill out of his pocket and just the harvest just starts coming on its own. It takes a lot of work and intentionality. And we need to prepare an environment amongst the people of God that will cultivate this kind of peace. How do we do that? Well, man, start, we... We've, we've got to establish trust with each other. And there is no, there's no substitute for time when it comes to trust. It's relationships. It's, watching, it's hanging out with each other. It, it's living in community so that you know each other, that you trust each other. And once that trust is established, we're on the same page. We can start speaking real truth into each other's lives calling each other out, we need to be called out, encouraging each other when we need encouragement, getting on the same page, worshiping the same God, and, and moving toward the same goal. This, and this will not happen by default. This only happens when we work at it, when we intentionally strive to live in peace with each other. Then finally, the next, the next part, he says the why. So what are we called to? Notice it all has to do with how we live together, live in peace, receive correction, right? Think the same thoughts as each other. Now here's why. He says Here, here's why this is what you're supposed to look like. He says in verse 11 at the end, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Now if you notice, this is an if-then. This is what we call conditional. So if this exists, then this will happen. If you mend your ways, if you live in peace, if you treat each other right, then, he says, and the God of love and and peace will be with you. And he said, well, wait a second. That doesn't doesn't seem to ring right. That, That doesn't seem... Isn't God everywhere, first of all? And then second of all, hasn't he promised to never leave us or forsake us? 
So is he saying here we first clean up our act and then he shows up? Like, that seems to be counterintuitive to the gospel. It's counterintuitive to what we know. While we were still sinners, Christ loved, God loved us and sent his son to die for us. We'll take a quick detour here to first, first John. I think this will ha- help shed some light on this. Remember, the context of first John is fellowship. In other words, how we as believers walk with each other and walk with God, most importantly. How do we as believers walk in fellowship with God? And look at what he says in verse 5 of chapter 1. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light, in him there is no darkness at all. So we know this about God, right? He says, God is holy, God lives in light, there is no sin with God, there is no darkness with God. Okay, we've learned that since, since day one, Anybody, any kid in Sunday school could tell you God doesn't sin, God is perfect. Then in verse, seven, he, verse 6, he says, if we claim... If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. He says if we're walking in sin and yet claiming that we're over here walking in the light with God, he says you're a liar. That both cannot be possible. You cannot be walking in the darkness and walking in the light at the same time. And God's in the light. So if you're in the darkness, then by default, you're not with God. And then in verse 7, he says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. So he says, how do we walk with God? How do we know if the presence of God is with us? We have to be walking in the light. We have to be walking where God is. And how do we walk in the light? Well, it's a walk of faith. It's by, it's by putting our faith in Jesus. It's Jesus purifies you from all sin. This isn't legalism. This isn't do the right things and then God will come to you. It's that we, we confess our sins, he says in verse 9. We confess our sins. We lay them at the foot of the foot of the cross. We walk by faith, and that walk of faith is walking in the light, and he says that's where God is. And he gets more specific in, verse, in chapter 4. If you look at there, he says, Dear friends, let us love one another. The call, which is basically what Paul has been telling us in Corinthians 13, he says, love one another. For love comes from God, and this is important. The love that we have for each other that he's calling us to here, this isn't love that we're manufacturing on our own that we just try really hard to love each other. He says this love comes from God. God, by his grace, gives us this love. And with the love that he gives, that he first loved us with, we love other people. So everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. He gave us his love. We rest fully in this love. And with that love, we love other people. And then here's his final thing. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. Another word for loves or lives here would be abides or makes his home with. So you could read it. Whoever makes his home in love, whoever is walking in love, lives or makes his home in God and God makes his home with them. So in other words, very simply, he says, if you love each other, then you're making your home with God and God is making his home with you. So to take that then full circle back to what we're talking about in Corinthians, Adam Clark, a commentator, he said it this way. 
said, love and peace cannot live, neither exist where there are brawls, contentions, and divisions. It says, if we are treating each other terribly, there's no love there. There's no peace there. Okay? And he says, and, and where neither peace nor love is to be found, there God cannot be. See, if we're walking in the darkness, if we're, if we're hating each other, there's no love and no peace there. He says, That's, you're walking in the darkness and, and you're, you're not walking with God. And then and this is haunting. He says, and if he be not there, yourselves and the devil make the whole assembly. Hear what he's saying? He says, man, church, if, if you're not loving each other, then the only people with you are human beings and Satan. And we need to heed this warning. And you look at Revelation, look at the book of Revelation, and look at what God says, Jesus himself says to the churches in Revelation. It is intense, severe warnings. He says that you need to walk you need to walk by faith. You need to love each other. And if not, he says, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. I'm going to snuff out your light. I'm going to come at you with a sword. These are warnings that we need to heed. So why put things back in order? Why mend our ways? So that we can live in the presence of God. And this is not what everything is all about. To know him and have intimate fellowship with him. That's, that's, a, that's a word of caution, but then the, the beautiful thing comes. So how do we do this? How do we walk in love and peace with one another so that we can walk with God in that? Finally, the how. The how. Verse 14. It says, may the, God, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. This is, this is his final word, the final verse here. It's what we call a benediction. We've talked about this before. Bena meaning good, uh, diction meaning speech or word. So this is a good word. He gives them this benediction, this closing thought. And, and here's, here's the beautiful thing about this final word that he gives them. First of all, it's Trinity-based. If you, if you look up there, you see it, here in his final word, he mentions Jesus, he mentions God the Father, and he mentions the Holy Spirit. Now, it's also redemption-based. It's talking about our salvation. We can't, our human brains can't comprehend God in, in the Trinity, what that looks like. There is no other parallel to that. There's a lot of analogies that we use that fall short. I think the only way that we can truly understand the Trinity at all is to experience the power of the Trinity in our lives through God's redemption for us. And, and here's what he's saying. Because... God loved us. He gave us the grace of Jesus, which is salvation, it's forgiveness. And grace is something that we have not earned. And he's given us fellowship, the ability to be with God, to truly fellowship with each other through the power of the Holy Spirit. So Paul leaves the church on this note. He says, if, if you're going to do this thing, if you're going to be the kind of church that our God wants you to be, and this is the great news, it doesn't come from us. It's not by us working hard. It's not by, well, we need better programs in our church. We need better church strategies. 
says the thing that's going to allow you to be the people of God that he has called you to be, to the way that we're going to be unified, to truly do his work, to live in peace with one another, to be able to submit ourselves under his authority, to be able to rejoice always, to be restored, is going to be by the grace of Jesus given to us by the love of God and done in the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, this this whole thing, it, it comes from God, it's done through God, and it's all given back to God for His glory. So I want us to look here, in closing, uh, looking at, at Peninsula Grace. You know, Paul wrote this letter to the Corinthians 2,000 years ago. What would Paul say to our church today? How would he look at our church? What, what would his letter look like to us? And I was thinking about our, our church and where God has taken us these past 30 years. And just like this Corinthian church, there's been ups and downs. There's been scars and bruises. There's been incredible things God's done. You know, in the last five years, we, we've been through some heartache. We've been through some tough transitions. But it's been incredible to watch the faithfulness of God with his bride. And the way that he's taken us through these things. And it's been incredible to watch. So often I've been hearing as new people come to our body and they stay with our body. They say it's because you guys teach the truth. But more importantly, you live the truth out. It's the way that you care for one another. It's all about the way that we love each other. And, you know... To me, one of the backbones of our, of our church um, is, is the, the home groups that we, that we have. And if, and if you haven't been a part of a home group, you don't even know what that is. Home groups, we meet once a week, typically. We have a meal together. Um, we, we, we talk about Jesus. We read the word together. We pray for each other. But one of the most important things that come out of that is real relationships we really know each other. We can be honest with each other. We can get past the surface and really get down to, to, the, to the true stuff, the deep stuff of our souls. I, I read something that said uh, people only stay with a, a body of, of believers if they have about four to eight friends within the body and they find themselves belonging to a smaller group of people. Now that doesn't, I mean, there is, in the back, um, you'll see a way to get connected. In the back on the wall there, there's a, there's a home group list, and it has numbers, it has different groups of when they meet, um, the different kinds of groups that they meet. I don't get any commission from you joining a home group. That's not, I mean, that's not my point here. I'm not trying to push those um, only. There are many ways to live in community with each other. Um, right? And we have, we have groups that Bible studies that get together on, on Wednesday nights for women and men and, and a group of guys that get together on Saturday mornings. It doesn't even have to be a formal thing like that. It can be getting together with other brothers and sisters that you know, that you trust and love, talking about these things, getting into this life with each other. But, but here's my point and my encouragement to you. You could be the greatest basketball player in the whole world, put all these YouTube clips up about all the tricks that you can do and how fancy you are. But if you're not on a team, what good are you? And, and if we're the kind of believer that, you know, we come to church Sunday morning and, and hear a good song and hear a good message, then go home and we do our own thing, completely divorced from any community with believers, that's not the gospel that God's called us to. 
can be the, the greatest believer in the world, but if you're not with the team, then, then, you're, not, then you're missing it. And then maybe some of us are really involved in, in community, but we're not doing it the right way. And we're causing more damage than we are good. I mean, to be the kind of church that God wants us to be. I want us to uh, stand together, if you'd stand with me. Um, and as the, uh, the band starts to come back up, instead of ending in prayer, I want to end, repeat these, these verses, these last words that Paul said. If you could close your eyes for me, help focus us. These words, this good word that Paul spoke to the Corinthians 2,000 years ago are words that we need to hear as well today. And I want to hear them not as, as Paul would have read them to the Corinthians, but I want to hear them as though God is speaking these to us right now. That we'd, that we'd hear these words, that we'd believe these words, and most importantly, that we would live these words out. It says, finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice, rejoice, strive for full restoration, encourage one another, be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.